Well, we continue our Trailblazer series today. Last week we looked at uh, the inventor of the printing press and how the Bible inspired him. Today we're looking at a very unique person, Arthur Guinness. And depending on how you grew up, this might cause a lot of uh, internal tension in you. So if you grew up Baptist, where the idea of drinking alcohol was a litmus test to whether or not you were serious about your faith. If you grew up Catholic or grew up maybe in Europe or you grew up non-denominational, maybe it's less of an issue for you. It's amazing because, you know, the Bible is very clear that we are not to be drunk with wine and not to be drunk with alcohol. But really it speaks to not being controlled by anything besides God. It's interesting that it's the faith in the Bible and in Jesus that inspired Arthur Guinness to create a revolutionary product that changed the world and changed the countryside. See, the Guinness family had a motto, and their motto was, Our hope is in God. In fact, he lived up in Dublin, and they went to St. Patrick's. So you celebrate St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick was an actual man in history who came to Ireland and began to teach people about Jesus and God. And began to baptize people in that area. So there's a giant cathedral there called St. Patrick's Cathedral. And Guinness used to attend that church. While he was attending that church, he had the opportunity to hear John Wesley. Now, if you don't recognize the name John Wesley, the modern Methodist church came from the teachings of John Wesley. He was a traveling evangelist. But when he first got out of seminary, he began to travel around and talk to people about faith in Jesus. After two years of having very little impact, John Wesley wandered into a church and heard someone reading Martin Luther's preface to the book of Romans about how salvation is a gift of God. It's not a moral creed. It's not about knowing information. It's a gift of God that God gives you his righteousness. God gives you his peace. And God generously gives you a right standing with him. John Wesley, who'd been a pastor for two years, suddenly realized... I don't know God. He went home that night, wrote in his journal that his heart was strangely warmed by the reality that he could receive the gift of forgiveness from God. The thing he talked about, he now knew. His whole ministry changed. He began to travel around the world, including St. Patrick's Cathedral in Dublin. It was here he spoke about the generosity of God and the main message of the Bible that we can know God personally through Jesus' forgiveness and work on the cross By understanding God's generosity to us, John Wesley made a a major movement in the Methodist church was to take the generosity that God's given you and to be generous to your community. But first you understand what God did for you and you receive it, and then you go and do the same. Well, Wesley in his journal writes he was very frustrated that day in St. Patrick's Cathedral that all these rich, affluent uh, business people seemed to be uh, untouched by his message. But history shows that many people were incredibly impacted by his message, including Arthur Guinness. Some of the phrases that John Wesley is known for is, one, he he taught people to earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. He said that wealth is evidence of a calling from God on your life to use your abundance to help all mankind. And that day, Arthur Guinness was impacted by this idea The main message of the Bible that God was so generous that he died for you and I. And that he gives us a right standing with God. And out of that expression of generosity from God spiritually. We are to take that as a calling from God to go and to bless other people. To help other people and to impact other people. And so that's exactly what he did. Now the irony is that John Wesley was one of the first pastors to preach against alcohol. 
So the man who preached against alcohol was the one who inspired the largest, most historic beer maker in human history to create a beer. But if you keep in mind that time in history, water was very, very contaminated. And they didn't have the scientific development to realize the reason I'm getting sick from drinking water is because of contaminants. So most people drank both beer and wine as the primary way in which you drank. It was healthy. And so because people weren't drinking water because it was contaminated, Arthur Guinness, though, was very, very concerned. And as he heard the message by John Wesley, he was concerned about the alcoholism and the drunkenness going on in Ireland. They primarily drank gin and whiskey. And people would be drunk and there's a lot of unruly conduct. And he heard from God that God told him that he was to make a drink that was good for men to drink. So one of the first things he did is he decided to develop an alcohol built from barley and built from something nutritious. And he also wanted to make it so it would fill you up quicker. And he lowered the alcohol contact in such a way that he hoped that it would fill you up quicker before you could get drunk. And he very quickly made something that would be nutritious, that he felt like would uh, um, keep people from the excesses that were happening in the country. And he worked and worked and worked. Back before there was science, it was a lot of the brewer themselves had to kind of figure this out on their own. And he developed what became known as Guinness beer. And I think what we see in this man is a man who took his passion, his gift, and his talents and said, what if God wanted to use this unique slice of my life to try and think about how I can take God's generosity to me and be generous to others. So we're going to look at three aspects of kind of biblical theology of work that impacted Arthur Guinness and how it might impact you as well. The first aspect is the Bible describes you and I as workmanships, that we are workmen. We are a workmanship of our Heavenly Father. And if you want to learn how to create a sense of identity, a sense of purpose in your life, it begins by working as a workman. Let's go all the way back to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis describes a God who works. For six days he works, he forms, he fashions, he's involved in his creation. And then when he makes mankind, he says, let us make man in our image. In our image, our likeness, we have created them to have dominion. What does it mean to be made in God's image? It means God is a creative God and he made you to be creative as well. God is a God who works and works for purpose. It's not a drudgery. He wants you too to find purpose in work. He's made you in his image. What did God do in that first chapter of Genesis? He found the chaos and he brought order to the chaos. And then he rested and he was satisfied and he rejoiced in the work he had done. Is there chaos in your life? And maybe you work with numbers and you bring order to the chaos and the numbers. Maybe you're in the medical field and there's chaos in someone's body and you bring order to the body. Maybe you work with people and systems and, and putting processes in place. You are actually participating in being a workman. You're made in God's image and those gifts and those skills and those talents and those opportunities. Whatever field he's gifted you with, you're designed to be a workman made in his image. In fact, Paul picks up on this in the New Testament. Again, he says the main message of the Bible, it is by grace you have been saved, not by works, lest anyone should boast. Look how much I prayed. It's a gift, freely received. But when you freely receive the, 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 the generosity of God, it then creates a whole new mindset for what it means for you to live your life here as a workman. Look what it says in Ephesians. We are his workmanship. Now, whether you believe in Jesus or the God of the Bible or not, wouldn't you love to have the sense of purpose that your creator gave you these gifts and has a 
job for you to do, a calling, something of significance to do with your life. That's what Paul's saying. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're designed to take the good things God's done for us and extend them to our community. We're creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That before the foundation of the earth, God gave you talents and skills and passions and opportunities that you could express those God-given workmanships in your arena, with your family, in your community. Now, this word workmanship is a very interesting word. In the Greek, it's the word poema, where we get the word poem or poetry. That God is saying, if you surrender yourself to me, if you receive my generosity, what I will do is I will put a rhythm to your life. I'll put a cadence to your life. I'll put lyrics to your life. I'll make a ballad to your life. I'll find a way to take all the things you're currently doing, but to put it to a rhythm and some poetry to your life. I'll take the tangled moments of your life and the secrets. Oh, I can't believe I did that five years ago. Oh, I can't believe if people knew what I did. All those messed up areas of your life, he will turn them into a work of art. Like, did you ever have a maybe a mom or a grandmother who did cross-stitch? Have you ever seen the backside of a cross-stitch? It's a disaster. Like, wow, you've been working on that for a couple of years, huh, Grandma? Real nice. I mean, look, it's knotted up and there's strings all over. It's just a disaster. And the main message of the Bible is you don't come to God in good works. Look how much I've done, lest you boast. You come to God and saying, I can't untangle myself. I have messed up. I have screwed up. I've got secrets I don't even want to admit about. And God takes you where you are forgives you fully and then because of what jesus did he makes you into a work of art you flip over that cross stitch and you see something beautiful you are his workmanship with whatever passion and gifts and talents you have god wants you to use those to see your whole life in that realm i sold my jet skis a few months ago i love jet skiing been doing about 10 15 years and so i bought a boat and so I took one of my good friends, Trey, and we headed down to Tennessee because he has a boat similar to the one I was going to buy. When we got there, uh, on the way down, he talked about this stage of his career. He's really enjoying mentoring young men. And he said often he'll get young men who are Christians who come in, they're millennials or Gen Zers, and they'll say, you know, I really want to work for a nonprofit. And they've really been indoctrinated this idea that, you know, business or profit companies are inherently evil because of kind of what the culture has taught them. And so he was mentoring this young man for a couple of years, and, and he's like, you know, have you ever thought about not a nonprofit, but every area of work, the Bible says, can be a way to help people, a way to serve people, a way to work alongside people and to find your purpose. God might want you to work in a profit business to fulfill his purpose. He said this young man had never thought of it before in his 20s, and he began to realign his life to say, I have unique gifts, and I don't have to be in a nonprofit. I don't have to be a pastor or a clergyman to accomplish my purpose. And that's what the idea of being a workman's all about. Whether you're a beer maker, whether you're, last week we saw a printer, we're going to see someone working in nursing in a few weeks, or Galileo as a scientist. What would it be like if you had a rhythm and poetry and ballad to your life to be a workman for God? Well, that was certainly true of Guinness. In fact, if you visit Dublin today, you will see all over the place the fingerprints of what it meant to be a workmanship for the Guinness family. St. Patrick's Cathedral was starting to fall apart. It was the Guinness family that had it restored. And as Irish Protestants, they didn't just give to Protestant causes. They also gave to restore Catholic churches. They also gave to secular and non-religious causes. It was amazing that as you walk around the city, if you go just around the corner from St. Patrick's Cathedral, you'll see a public park donated by the Guinness family. 
statues put up of how they rescued, as I mentioned in the video, a whole city that was in economic ruin. It was the Guinness family who thought they needed to help their community and invest in their community. There's a whole section of homes there in Dublin that are called the Liberties. They were actually originally homes developed for the workers at the factory and at the company. They're now one of the sought-after homes for the Dutch style or the Irish style there in the area. When Stephen Mansfield was writing his book, he said he would ask people as he was driving through Dublin what the Guinness family meant to them. He was driving with a taxi driver one time and asked him, hey, what does the Guinness family mean to you? He said the taxi driver began to tear up. He said my grandmother would have died if it wasn't for the free doctor and health care that was provided by the Guinness family. We didn't have anywhere else to go, but someone cared about my grandmother's needs. And she's alive today because of it. What would it look like in your life to take your gifts, your talents, and see the people in your immediate proximity, larger proximity, and saying, how can I see every person around me as one of God's workmanships that I could invest in, that I could develop, that I could help? The next thing that that Arthur Guinness found that John Wesley really taught as well is that your faith should work out. It shouldn't just be some private thing that you, you, you hold to yourself. It should work out. Just as you work out and exercise in your life, your faith should be exercised in caring for the needy and caring for the poor and helping those around you and serving people around you. Now, last week I mentioned a passage from the book of Exodus that influenced uh, the inventor of, of the, the printing press. But let's look at that verse a little bit deeper today because God says that he gives gifts of craftsmanship or workmanship to different people. And notice the action verb. You're supposed to work this out, not just go thanks for the gift. You're supposed to to use it to design artistic works, to work in gold or silver or bronze, to cut jewelry and put that together, in carving of wood, and to work in all manner of workmanship. For I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans, that they may make all that I have commanded you. Did you know that cutting jewelry can be just as spiritual as praying? Did you know that going to church can be no more spiritual than working your, your Monday through Friday job? See, the Bible teaches that your whole life can be a spiritual act of worship. Whatever you do in word or deed, it says in Colossians, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I bet you you have wisdom and expertise in a certain area. Have you ever thought of yourself as an artisan, a heavenly God-sent artisan that God put wisdom and skills in? in order to create a purpose to work it out in this world? As I mentioned in the video, that's what you saw Arthur Guinness doing. He began to look at the world around him and saying, how could I treat my my employees like I had wisdom from on high? In fact, there was a huge problem with the prison population in those days. And so he and another man who was a follower of Jesus said, instead of trying to stop this on the back end, what if we try to figure out what's causing so many to go into prison? And they realized education and a lack of literacy was a major cause of it. So Arthur Guinness and his family funded the Sunday School Movement. The Sunday School Movement was a way in which people could come, learn how to read if they didn't know how, learn how to read the Bible and get a spiritual education. But the motivation for that was to help keep people from heading into prison and instead learn how to read, learn how to write, and also learn a little bit about the God that made them, their purpose, a higher purpose than just crime. And it was the Sunday school movement used as a motivation to change his community that changed the world. Offering doctors to their employees. 
Finding ways to fund the different endeavors. When, when folks would go off to war, they would actually give money to the families while they were an absentee to make sure they were protected, to make sure they came home, they had a job. It was just a whole different way in the 1920s. The company began to institute these policies as a vision of thinking about how to view everyone as a workmanship began to infiltrate the thinking of the day. And that's certainly true at our church as well. We at Horizon feel like we're not just here to collect you know, information about the Bible and go, oh, good, 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 interesting stuff, I learned new stuff. The, the goal of faith is to work it out, to work it out in the community around us. In fact, as you came in today, you probably noticed our big Christmas tree. This is the time of year that we do our giving tree. Now, we give to all kinds of things throughout the year. We partner with City Gospels, you saw a few weeks ago. We partner with Inner Parish Ministries and our blue bags. We also partner with Happy Church, one of the poorest areas in Appalachia that we send teams down to. So if you want to be part of working out your generosity, this is a great season to do it at Horizon. Go over to the, to the bag. You'll be able to pick off the tree, the name of someone, the kind of gifts they need. Bring those back. I think we had one of the largest times of giving last year to all those different ministries because of the generosity of the people in our church. It's giving to that. It's saying, you know what, I've never been to City Gospel, but I want to go down and serve City Gospel. I want to befriend some folks, and I want to, to use my gifts and my talents, whether it's cooking or whether it's serving or whether it's organizing or whether it's hospitality. I want to be part of that. Maybe you're a doctor or a nurse, and you say, you know what, I want to give up a week of vacation and go down to Belize, or I want to go to Cancun with back-to-back. A group of women just got back from a group with uh, back-to-back ministries. And say, I want to do something with my life that takes the generosity I'm either wrestling with or, or investigating or have come to conclusions on about Jesus. And I want to spread that into my immediate community, my broader community in the world. That's what we're about as a church. How do we serve you? How do we serve guests? How do we serve our neighbors? It's one of the reasons, if you notice, you know, just if you look at the quality of the video, if you look at our, you know, video projector screen, it's not quite finished on the edges, but we've got a different screen up there. We've got robotic cameras going in. We've got three more cameras coming in the next week and a half. Because many of you have said, I wish I could send the messages to my friends on video. And so for a year and a half, we've been raising money to put a video system in place for live stream. Our app is going to go live in the next couple of weeks. We also are going to, between now and the end year, going to go to live stream. And this, again, is not just so that, wow, Chad really wants to be famous. No, no, I don't want to be famous. It's because we want this to be a tool. When you hear a message about purpose or work or about depression or parenting, you say, wow, that was so helpful. You can get on your phone and literally go, click, click, send. This was helpful to me, maybe helpful to you. So I don't know what it looks like for you to work out your generosity and to work out your service here in our community. I hope you're given to lots of things. I hope you're serving in lots of places. Maybe for you it's like, hey, I want to be part of that. I'd love to learn how to run a camera. Or I'd love to, to know how to, to uh, you know, operate a camera or, or to do a directing a shoot or run a PowerPoint or pro presenter. I'd love to be part of that. Or maybe people have served your family well for your spiritual education. And so you'd like to go work in our children's ministry or student ministry or, or meet some other people who, who cut all the crafts out for the kids. Whatever it is, express, work out your faith. As we're taking this video project and moving to the project of designing another room for additional space, maybe you're saying, hey, I haven't given financially part of that, but I'd love to make Horizon a part of my regular giving, my regular serving. But let's take the example of Arthur Guinness. Yeah, let's give to our local churches. Yeah, but let's give to our community. Yeah, let's look for the needy around us. Let's be part of big, hairy, audacious goals that God might use whatever he's given us, that wisdom to transform the world. But work it out. And the mindset that really impacted Arthur was this idea that whatever you do, you're working up. 
You're working up. You, you don't work for your boss. You don't work for your stakeholders. You, you're accountable to all those, but you work for God. Sometimes your boss is going to be frustrating and stakeholders and customers can be unreasonable. And sometimes the board's going to be really hard to work with. But if you say, what I'm doing is I'm working under the Lord. This idea, even if you don't believe in the God of the Bible, brings so much peace and, and perspective to your work. In fact, in that passage in Exodus, he says, I've put wisdom into the heart of the artisan that they would create and build and build and build. And he specifically mentions that they would take and do all that I've commanded you, the tabernacle of meeting and the ark of the testimony and the mercy seat that's on it. I want you to use your skills to build this box and this tent that represented for the Israelites the presence of God. If you remember Indiana Jones, you remember the box was like big scary box and things come out and melt people's faces, right? So that's from Indiana Jones. From the Bible, the, the golden box was the constant reminder that God is with us. And there's this connection here between your gifts, your talents, your artisan wisdom given to you, and this direct connection to the presence of God. Now for them, they were literally building something that represented the presence of God. But the New Testament picks up on this idea and says that when you serve someone made in God's image, you're serving God himself. So every customer, every client, every person you see and engage with during the day is someone made in God's image. And so you get a chance every day to engage with God person by person, eyeball to eyeball, because you're interacting with the very presence of God. Now, if you get serious about this, there's a real weird word mentioned up here. See the word mercy seat? The ark of the testimony and the mercy seat. At the top of the ark was a covering, the lid, and they called it the mercy seat. And there were two angels who were looking down at the mercy seat. And those two angels represented God's impartial judgment. In other words, when you do something wrong, there should be a, a just consequence. And so those angels represent the just consequence of God judging wrongdoing. So why they call it the mercy seat? Because you would take the blood of a perfect lamb and you would pour it on the mercy seat and that blood would absorb the judgment that belonged on you and you would go free because something innocent died on your behalf. And now we're back to the main message of the Bible again. Jesus will call himself the mercy seat. That if you and I got the just consequence of everything we've ever done wrong, we'd be in trouble. We'd be in big trouble. So the message of the Bible is God does not give you what you deserve. The angels are looking down the mercy seat. Instead, God's presence is he absorbs all the, all the consequences of your wrongdoing for every thought, for everything you did or didn't do. And he gives you generously a right standing with God mercifully. And the word mercy means to not get what you deserve. And when you get and understand and incorporate what God has done for you, the generosity of God, his forgiveness and his mercy, you then say, wow, I got some really annoying people I work with. And I'm going to give them mercy and give them what they don't deserve. Oh, it's so hard to work with these people. This boss, this board, these stakeholders. Ah, they don't deserve my patience. No, they don't. But because God was so patient with you, you extend God's generous patience with you by being patient with others. And if you ever get real serious about giving to the needy and the poor, you realize it's not for the faint of heart. It's difficult to get involved in people's lives who are needy and poor. When you do that, you're going to find, well, when am I really helping and when am I hurting? 
when am I helping them get to the next level and when are they feeling entitled and actually they're not even grateful. They think, when do you send the next check? Arthur Guinness had the same thing. He knew that he had been called to help the needy in his family, in his community. But with that came a lot of expectations. You got plenty of money, why don't you just write the check? And in his journals, you see him wrestling with when I give, when is it really helping and when is it actually hurting the person because they're not taking responsibility? It's easier just to not mess with it than to get involved in people's lives. In fact, it was his sister, Olivia, that kept asking for checks and kept asking for checks. And he, he wrote one last one and said, listen, um, real gently in his journal, he wrote, or the letter he wrote to her, he said, Olivia, you might want to maybe look at your expenditures and your input and maybe recalculate your budget. You might need to manage things a little bit better. And often when you, you work with people who are generational poverty, it's going to take more than just a gift of money and a gift of service. It's going to take coming alongside, mentoring and helping make decisions and help them begin to make better decisions. In fact, Arthur Guinness found with his brother Edward that Edward, he'd given him second, third, fourth chances, but he also, as a representative of the bank there, had to also keep the terms of the bank. And Edward had broken and broken and broken and broken the policy, and they had to, in some level, foreclose on him. Arthur's other brother, Hosea, was just hammering him. How could you do this to our brother? How could you handle this? And now there's all kinds of feelings. Oh, it would be better just not to get involved in this stuff. And he wrote to his brother. He said, listen, on one hand, he's my brother, and I love him. I care for him. I'm trying to take care of him. On the other hand, he's got to be held accountable to do what he said as part of the contract. And trying to figure out where generous giving and accountability come together is not easy. I love the words that Arthur said to his son, Benjamin. When he described this calling to work with people. He said, although diligence in our worldly calling as a beer maker, as a businessman, as an entrepreneur, is our indispensable duty as Christians, we should be the best workers if we believe that our workmanship comes from God and everyone we work with. Christians should be the best workers, should be. We have a higher calling than even that to engage our attention for we have a heavenly calling in Christ Jesus and to this our supreme diligence is required. Do you see the added oomph that this gives to a sense of purpose and work? Yes, you want to work hard for your boss because you're working unto the Lord. But more than that, you've got a holy calling because remember what, remember what John Wesley said? Wealth is a calling from God. Remember? Now, it's interesting because Arthur Guinness had a grandson named Henry Guinness. And he was religious in the same way John Wesley was religious. He knew stuff about the Bible. He'd been to church a lot of times. But he was really captured by the imagination of his friends who would go out to sea and the adventures they would bring back. Well, he came back, Henry did, and he was excited to see his brother Wyndham, who had been home during that time. He told him adventures, and he had really gotten off the right path. He would describe it later as he had been captured and, and, and enriched by evil, is how he described it. But at the time, he's like, oh, my goodness, we did this and got involved with these women and blah, 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 blah. Talking all these adventures. And he was looking forward to hearing his brother Wyndham say the same thing. Wyndham instead said, you know, the last three years, I have gone from knowing about God to knowing Jesus and he began to describe Jesus and his relationship with Jesus and his purpose and the meaning and that, that poetry and that rhythm to his life and the, the way in which every day was becoming an incredible adventure of finding a purpose God had for him and the generosity to receive from God. And Henry Guinness said, I listened to my brother Wyndham that night 
And he cast a vision of moral loveliness that I had never seen before. Now, I'm assuming that saying moral loveliness when you're a sea captain back in those days was manly. It doesn't sound particularly manly to me, uh, moral loveliness. But in his words in that time, this sea-bearing man who just returned said, my goodness, the vision he cast for the purpose that comes from the Bible and Jesus captured me. And not only did it capture him, so much so that the next day, her family noticed he was changed. He found a new meaning and new purpose beyond, you know, drinking lots and adventuring lots and, you know, having lots of women and objectifying people. He then went on to become one of the most famous evangelists in history, cited by D.L. Moody from Chicago. That's where I went to college. Points for my alma mater. Um, and Charles Spurgeon, both will reference Henry Guinness as one of the greatest preachers who ever lived. Because he had an encounter with Jesus and he moved from being religious to having a relationship. Now, if God can do this with a beer maker, what might he want to do with you? What if you took those words of John Wesley seriously to take the generosity of God and to extend it in the world around you? What if you said, I'm going to earn all I can, I'm going to save all I can, and I'm going to give all I can. And I'm going to see my wealth as a sign of the very calling of God on my life to use my abundance for the good of mankind. I think what it would look like is that you and I would start saying to ourselves, I'm not going to worship work. Worship work never helped anyone. Made a lot of workaholics, destroyed a lot of marriages, destroyed a lot of families. Don't worship your work, but worship God through your work. Your work is a mechanism to use the talents and skills God's given you to be a great spouse, to be a great father, to be a great employer, to be a great source of abundance to the world around us. What if we began to worship through our work? To bring that meter and poetry and ballad and lyrics to our life. What if we began to give a little bit? We saw work as a place that we love the people that we work with, love the people that we serve, love the people that we negotiate with. Doesn't mean we don't negotiate hard, but we're loving, we're giving. I had the opportunity to see that in a couple ways in the last couple of years. Many of you know Rich Palmer, he attends here. I got a chance to, to go tour his place at Nehemiah Industries and his vision of, of leaving his company and starting a company that would revolutionize prisoners, or not prisoners, but folks who had a record who couldn't get hired. So they only hired people who had a record. They went through a, a process. How do you take people who have a record and make sure that, that we can sort of filter them and train them? How do we set up mentors for them? And, and they've grown and grown and grown. I got to see folks who were unhirable now hired and having families and having mentors teach them financially how to handle themselves and anger management programs. And it was just inspiring to see someone in our community saying, I want to take my gifts and see how I can do good for the world around me. Or just last week, I got a chance to go down to Frankfort, Kentucky where I met John Stewart. John's great-great-great-grandfather started a residential program for autistic and handicapped people in Frankfort, Kentucky. He's a vascular surgeon. He's just retired. He can pretty much do anything he wants with his life. But instead, he's CEO and resident doctor at a community of 10-year-olds to 80-year-olds, 350 of them who are autistic and special needs with a vision of a place to live, a place to love, and a place to learn. And it was inspiring to see someone who could really do anything with those last 10, 20 years of his life, loving and caring and giving of himself, set up a whole medical clinic there on a 850-acre campus that he's running and starting to give the best kind of medical care to those in his community. 
or the Green family. Maybe you've heard the Green family from Hobby Lobby and, and, and how they began this whole process of thinking about what does it look like to, to serve the people around us, to give a little bit, to love a little bit. So before we watch this last video, I want to pray for us. That God might put something in you that was put in Arthur Guinness that day to receive the generosity of God and then to extend that generosity to every person you come in contact with. And maybe you, like John Wesley or Arthur Guinness, you've been to church. You know about God, but you don't know him personally. You've never had that heart-strangely-warmed experience that John Wesley spoke of. Let's pray together. I'll lead you into prayer. You can just pray on your own. Maybe you just want to say, God, I receive your generosity. Take my tangled-up mess and make me a workmanship. Jesus, thank you for your generosity. I invite you to give me a holy calling, a grander vision to give, to live, and to love in a brand new way. In Jesus' name, amen.